Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Welcome, folks. This is your host, Jose Negron, on VoiceAmerica.com on the Variety Channel. Hosting the lead technology show, T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies, every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or noon East Coast Time. You can also catch us on Monday and Tuesday. Please check your local listing at voiceamerica.com, the Variety Channel. As always, uh, our audience continues to increase throughout the U.S. and international audience. I'm always interested in the international audience, so that number just continues to rise. Also, I'd like to say, as a reminder to our audience, the purpose of T3 is to integrate and discuss uh, key topics in science, technology, and engineering with our leading scientists, engineers, innovators, and subject matter experts, and discuss it in a a non-technical way so that we get a little discussion going and have a better understanding of what that technology will do for your lifestyle. To keep our audience involved in T3, please call us at 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Today's show is kind of a key show. It'll be our fifth space show. It's how important is space and especially to the U.S. Last week, you had an opportunity to listen to Space the Next Frontier, and we covered a lot of subjects. Uh, Most of it is uh, space exploration, uh, different international companies that are dealing with it. But we're really having in the last 10 years a revolution in space. We're bringing on new technologies. There's new business partners. And, of course, there's new service design. And we've all heard about let's relaunch this U.S. space mission, NASA's launch to the moon or NASA's launch to uh, to Mars. And, of course, we've also heard about Falcon, uh, the Falcon 9 from the uh, SpaceX. So the space industry is growing and will continue to grow. For those of you who have not caught up with our space shows, uh, on the uh, 28th of August, we did uh, What Do We Need to Know About Space? I recommend everybody take a look at that. Space is a vast uh, environment. It's just enormous. Numbers are working in billions and trillions, and I just find it amazing when you start talking those types of numbers. The second show uh, on the 27th of November, we talked about Back to Mars, uh, Black Friday and self-driving cars. Gives you a good background on why we need to go back to Mars. On 13 August, we talked about space. Why return to the moon? There's a lot of discussion. We've done it. We've got the T-shirt. Why do we need to go back to the moon? But there's a lot of benefits for going back to moon, and there's a lot of discussion, pros and cons. So take a look at that show, 13 August. On the 2nd of July, 2019, we did a a show on space robots or robots in space. I will tell you, I was impressed. I I was amazed. I did not know how many... uh, uh, robots or launchers or um, just, uh, I guess, just an enormity of the various countries that have la- launched rovers into space and the use of those rovers and why those rovers are so important. So take a look at that show. And then, of course, last week we talked about uh, space to next frontier. Today, our subject is how important is space? 
It's the 5th of November. It is our fifth show on space. Uh, really, it's, and so uh, uh, we're going to continue that. I have invited my special guest, uh, Hawks Abbott. Habit is a Navy aviator, has worked at NASA. I, I call him the mastermind in space, especially from a space strategist, thinker. Uh, what does the U.S. have to do in space, uh, space activity, space challenges? So I think uh, we're ready to talk about, specifically today, I want to focus, why it, does the U.S. have to go back to space? Why does the U.S. have to lead the space uh, business? And I think that's very important. So, Hawks, welcome to the show. I'll start off with the first question. Why does the U.S. need to continue and how important is space? Can you give the audience a little background? Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, the answer to that problem, how important is space? Well, the bottom line, it is humanity's future. As the population of the Earth expands well past uh, the 8 billion mark uh, towards 10 to 12 to 14 billion people, uh, we're going to have to go to other locales to have humanity. That will include uh, possibly uh, enclaves on the moon. Uh, and certainly the possibility of uh, populating and colonizing Mars. So as we move out and find different places to live, it's essential to understand that space is humanity's future. Uh, and I say that because uh, in, in slightly less than a billion years, uh, Earth will go away. Our sun will become a red giant. And the orbit of Earth will be inside the edge of that red giant uh, that the sun will become. We will also, at that same time, uh, the Milky Way will careen into uh, the Andromeda uh, galaxy uh, at a, almost a 90-degree angle. So the survival of our solar system will depend on how far we extend humanity out from the solar system and quite possibly into the Milky Way galaxy. You know, space right now in the last 10 years has really moved to uh, commercialization, privatization. You've got large companies. We'll go over that in a little bit, probably in the second period. But uh, really, space, when I look at the telecommunication, the precision of agriculture, the financial market, trans transportation, logistics, they're all components of the uh, American economy, a $20 trillion economy that is all dependent on space assets. And so now the question is, hey, uh, do we need to have a space force from a military perspective? We've done a real good job, I believe, in the last 10 years spreading uh, uh, the capability of space launches, space activities, space uh, research into the private sector, into the commercial sector. Uh, but now, uh, as we all know, China just launched uh, recently and landed on the moon and Russia's uh, gearing up. You have India. I, I'm, I'm amazed at all the countries. Uh, does space become an environment or a threat, uh, a threatening environment if U.S. is not leading its efforts? It's interesting to note, as we move into our own solar system with uh, uh, further exploration of the moon and establishing a permanent base there to provide us uh, the ingredients for space exploration, i.e. 
water, uh, other producibles that we will produce on the moon to reduce the cost of launching from Earth. If we could reduce, uh, you know, uh, rocket uh, expenditures off the surface of the Earth and do it uh, in orbit around the moon, we'll cut our costs to one-fifth or one-sixth of what it would be to launch from Earth. And the point is, as we move out towards Mars and the moons of Jupiter and the moons of Saturn into the Kuiper Belt, um, uh, commercial entities will get very excited about uh, collecting what's available in the Kuiper Belt as far as rare earth metals and so on. And, and it will also help the ability to build uh, uh, new kinds of uh, propulsion systems because we're creating new uh, packages on the moon or Mars that will allow us to continue the exploration. And your comments about military space capabilities to protect our orbital assets, they, they are constantly providing meteorology, oceanography, seismic data, intelligence, communications, GPS, news to the, to the world all the time. Every day, 24 by 7, 365. So in the context of protecting those environments, uh, military space must warn the planet along with NASA to save it from uh, a Chicksa Club-like event off the Yucatan Peninsula. And there was another event 13,000 years ago that created mini ice age that killed off the mastodons and the mammoths and, and uh, giant sloths and uh, Ireland elk and so on. So the, the military has to provide two functions there, protecting against uh, all the commerce that we transport through the orbital altitudes, but we also have to have a military available uh, to discreetly defend against uh, comets and asteroids and other events that could be cataclysmic and very destructive to uh, life here on Earth. Yeah, both of those uh, military operations is kind of interesting, protecting the uh, space lanes of communication and trade, which is a focus. It's kind of like the maritime and air domain that we have currently. And also... Uh, there's a lot of discussion of the asteroids and comets coming returning to Earth or or uh, or um, as you say colliding with Earth. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this. Let's take a step back because I don't think the audience really understands uh, uh, the significance of space, the vastness of space. Uh, I I'm looking at the uh, you know the center of the solar system. We have our nine planets. We have six, over 61 moons. We've got an astro belt that has approximately 750,000 comets, meteorites, and other rocks and gases orbiting the sun. I look at the Milky Way alone, uh, where the sun is, we have 200 billion stars just in the Milky Way. The Hubble Space um, Telescope said that there's about 100 billion galaxies, and I'm sitting around looking at 200 billion stars in one galaxy our own the milky way and you mentioned uh, the importance of the milky way and its uh disposition but now we've got a hundred uh, billion galaxies out there and i just find it uh, fascinating when i start talking about the vastness of space uh most people mainly it's a vacuum uh, it's dark uh you know it's 60 miles to 
to be in uh, uh, from the planet to space. Uh, no one really knows how big space is. We measure distance in light years. You know, one 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 light year, which is the speed of light, is uh, approximately five point eight trillion miles. So, or nine point. Three trillion kilometers. Uh, light itself is uh, visible through a telescope, but uh, just seeing that, it's about 13.7 uh, billion light years away by the time it reflects back. The solar system has 88 uh, constellations. So I just wanted to paint a picture that, you know, we're at the very beginning uh, of this process, and uh, we're trying to get everybody to understand the importance of space. We use it commercially, and we want to expand. We want to save the humanity. We want to protect from uh, different asteroids and comets. Uh, you've mentioned that, uh, Hawks. So why why should the U.S. lead? Because that's always the big question. Why should the U.S. lead uh, space exploration or space uh, development uh, uh, for the world? Well, uh, that uh, answer to me is just obvious in the context that uh, the United States has been a leader in a new experiment called uh, democracy and a, a representative republic. And that's what we do. We, we go forward first because we've grown a culture of people who uh, go out there and stick their foot out into the cold water of the stream first. You know, they go there because it's part of our nature. And, Back to the issue of uh, space being humanity's future, uh, because we have no other choice but to do that. And the Americans are very good at leading into that environment. Uh, I mean, the building blocks of life may have come from deep space, and, and the more we learn about that, the more we realizing realizing that fundamental pieces of uh, humanity and life on Earth may have come very easily from deep space asteroids and, and uh, uh, comets that peppered the beginning of Earth, you know, three or four billion years ago with mixtures of all kinds of things that are uh, nucleo-based uh, 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 combinations like cytosine and urocene and thymine and anandine and andadine and hypoxithine, all of those help make the building blocks of proteins uh, called dipeptides, and we're finding out that that probably came from um, asteroids that were literally not part of our uh, collective solar system in the beginning. They came from somewhere else. We've now seen two objects that came from outside our solar system. So somewhere in our Milky Way galaxy, we received Oumuamua as the first one, and the second one is a new asteroid that's coming from deep, deep space that we've never seen before. And so the proof of the pudding is life may have started way somewhere else and came to uh, Earth via these asteroids and, and uh, comet hits. 
Yeah, it's uh, fascinating as I as you explain uh, the beginning of matter and the, the ability of the building blocks of humanity, really, and the discussion of uh, a future asteroid coming towards us. We've got about two minutes left, Hawks. Uh, why don't you uh, give me your uh, your impression in the next m- minute or so about where do we need to go from a U.S. perspective in the space, and maybe we can follow up some questions in the second period. Uh, I think we need to continue to protect our orbital assets in a defensive posture, uh, given that uh, there is so much um, uh, activity, not only by formerly Russia, uh, but we have uh, the People's Republic of China and India, but all these third world countries that have purchased uh, extensive uh, amounts of satellite time on somebody else's satellite, but buying the time on it. But they've also purchased satellites to help them uh, view their portion of the Earth and to become part of the integrated whole of whether it's a GPS connectivity or whether it's meteorological data that they're receiving or maybe it's imagery they're buying from uh, a half a dozen different companies of what's going on in the world. And so it's all about the trade and the commerce and and protecting that over the next few years and then helping everybody realize that the best thing for humanity is to go explore space. Okay. Hold that thought right there. Folks, we've been listening to Hawks Abbott, a leading space expert, and I call him a mastermind in uh, strategic thinking on how the U.S. should uh, be pushing into space. Uh, You're listening to Jose Negron uh, on Voice America on the Variety Channel, hosting the lead technology show, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. And we've been discussing um, how important is space? Why do we need to go to space? And I've talked a little bit about uh, uh, the importance of space for the U.S., the importance of just the vastness understanding of space. Hawks has given us uh, an understanding of why it, uh, the need to go to space and understand space and the exploration of space uh, for mankind. We uh, talked a little bit about uh, possibly the new space force from a military perspective, keeping the, the uh, I call it the space lines of communication free and also protecting from future uh, impacts from comets, asteroids that are coming towards Earth. So from that perspective, uh, let's just, uh, we'll be taking a short break here. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. 
ever experience the joy of living, not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy, from a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease, to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to today tomorrow's technologies to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to today tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com now back to our show welcome back folks uh we're talking to my guest hawks abbott and we're talking about uh why should the u.s care about who's first in space uh why should even the u.s care to go to space how important is space uh and hawks has been giving us some uh good information on the humanity the uh, asteroids uh defense uh keeping the space uh free and cleared so that we can use commercial assets let me just quickly go to uh a little uh, factoid here because uh, uh, this is uh, according to the report I just read here um, and I'm trying to look for the title I don't see it right now but there's 414.75 billion dollars in the space economy and it's comprised of uh, the commercial infrastructure and supportive industries commercial space products and services u.s government space budgets and in the non-u.s government uh space budget uh, so the 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 enormous the enormous wealth that comes from space activity is quite interesting the other thing we talked a little bit about and uh, after 50 years of the moon we talked a little bit about the chinese going back into space or really going into space, and I believe they had about 38 different launches last year alone into space. And the question is, wow, that's a lot of launches uh, going into space, and and so that is important. But why is uh, uh, why is it important for the U.S. to be in space? And we talked a little bit about five reasons that I've been able to research in my own understanding of space, and and that is uh, new technology research. Uh, we haven't touched. Uh, on that particular subject matter, but the ability to go from, uh, and, and Hawks mentioned it, the GPS, uh, accurate weather prediction, solar cells, ultraviolet, sunglasses, um, the, the camera systems, uh, medical research. Also, we talked a little bit uh, 
uh, why is it important to be in space? Uh, we've got asteroids and comets, and uh, they don't really care for us. So the question is, how do we protect ourselves? Uh, the col- colonization, the ultimate backup. Uh, Hawks talked about the humanity uh, of that. The another key important fact why we're going to space is the mining aspects, the minerals, and and the capability to mine those ores, uh, both on in the moon or planets or other asteroids that are f- passing by. And finally, I think the biggest reason why we're going into space is we're we're creatures of exploration. We'd like to see what's on the other side of the mountain. So that's kind of where we're at. Hawks, uh, can you uh, can you discuss with the audience uh, a little bit more of some of the space commercial companies that are moving out? Uh, you know, we've got uh, a lot of discussion with NASA at the very beginning uh, on how they developed the program uh, where they really competed out the, the lower Earth orbit uh, satellite information systems, uh, and we are talking about uh, approximately 4,900 satellites right now. We're talking about uh, probably launching by 2025 a thousand satellites each year. So there is going to be a blistering effect of rocket launches. I mean, when I look at the a thousand, I mean, you know, launches. Uh, that's uh, uh, and you look at 365 days. Uh, that's three three launches per day just about or four so can you talk a little bit about where the commercial space industry going well it is going to uh go to different venues in space whether it's the moon or mars or uh other asteroids or comets that will do near earth active uh passbys because uh in another 50 years we will come up with uh the technology and the way to go about it, the preparation for it, such as, uh, let's say, Buzz Aldrin's uh, Mars Cycler is a way of providing uh, assets and um, uh, resources to those people who go to Mars. And so that is just one process that's coming along that will support commercial activity within our solar system, i.e. mining, uh, i.e. further medical uh, discoveries like that we're making on uh, uh, the International Space uh, uh, ISS right now and the, uh, and the laboratory work we're doing there and the new medicines are, we're coming up with. Uh, so there's, there's several venues that go forward into the exploration of space that will provide very substantive commercial capabilities. And we've already done it since the early 50s with everything that we're providing back to Earth to make it a better world, i.e. communications around the world, uh, the GPS capabilities. Uh, uh, We have saved uh, on the order of 400,000 people's deaths by providing good meteorology and weather reports that we never had available before. And so you have those kinds of things that have produced economic reasons to provide this kind of data and information from space assets. And so as we move forward, there are several different commands being developed uh, on the military side of the house, but that will also force the 
commercial and economic forces to support that process. But we are not alone in it. The military has never been just alone. It has to look at the world uh, economically as well. So uh, as we build new cities and we want to find out how we're going to design those cities on Earth or on the moon or on Mars, we have to have the technologies to support that kind of transposition of uh, populated areas. And we'll do that with space assets. Um, there are several commands that the, uh, the, uh, General Raymond has discussed in his five different programs for U.S. Space Command. You know, the Combined Force Space Commodity Command, the uh, Joint Task Force Space Defense, uh, all these different activities, including the Combined Space Operations Center, where he's drawing in the United States' uh, alloys, uh, such as uh, Britain and Canada and Australia, to help us out. What we're trying to do is help space remain peaceful and to protect our assets, but also to help the economic growth of various businesses that do things in orbit and on other planets, uh, other moon activities that will be beneficial, such as uh, the microwaving of energy from the moon back to Earth. I mean, a a five-kilometer square grid of solar cells on the, on the moon would produce more energy than all the solar cells on Earth today functioning in, yeah. in, in a matter of days. And so to give you that idea. No, and the technology course, transfer that we get from uh, the space program is amazing. We'll talk a little bit about that during the third period, but you're absolutely right. That technology is uh, in every field, uh, from uh, medical to uh, scientific to engineering to just uh, capturing the enormity. I mean, even uh, you know, even in food, where we got the tang and the and the solar blanket and other aspects of it from medicine. It's interesting to note that. We have always competing ideas to when things are going to be made available to us because of our space exploration. I mean, uh, we now know exactly to the millimeter how far the moon is away from us every day because we do a, a laser experiment that was put on the moon by Buzz Aldrin. It flashes a, a laser up at the moon, and we get exactly to the millimeter how far away the moon is. Well, we've used that in several new pieces of technology on Earth. And there are scientists today that are, um, have discussed how far away everything is in our solar system. Uh, for example, just getting to Jupiter... Uh, and as we've noted uh, two years ago, to the Pluto probe that was put all the way out to Pluto and took pictures of Pluto, and it took how many years to get there? It took almost 10 years to get there before it started taking pictures at Pluto. Of course, it took many other images and uh, collected data on its way out, uh, but it's, the, the problem we're going to have is developing a uh, propulsion system to take our satellites, to take our manned spacecraft to where we want to go. And that will come in time. Right now, as uh, Carl, Dr. Carl Sagan in the past said, 
the distances are so far uh, uh, out there that that's why aliens from other galaxies have never found us because it's just too far away. The vastness of space is just, uh, I'm just flabbergasted. But let's let's move on. Uh, the U.S. commercial space policy that was signed by the president and issued uh, the uh, space policy directive and the national space strategy, all those things are critical for NASA to continue its operation and its integration between both government and private sector. And the U.S. aerospace companies that are moving into the space, uh, uh, you know, the big three in aerospace companies, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, which just acquired Orbital uh, ATK. So that those are the three big ones. The launching of Boeing and Lockheed Martin uh, just for launches. Um, you know, we've got uh, SpaceX that's been launching Falcon 9. Uh, you have Aerojet, uh, Ball Aerospace, Harris, International Launch Service, uh, Maxar Technologies, Raytheon, Sierra Nevada. And, of course, I mentioned SpaceX. So these are all companies that are kind of uh, leading the way on space exploration. And I just wanted to let you know. And then let me just talk about a couple of them uh, because it surprised me. You've got Dish Network, which is satellite television. you got DirecTV, satellite television. you got Ceres, which is satellite radio. Iridium, satellite telephone. Global Star, satellite telephone. GPS consumer equipment is Trimble and Garmin. Okay, so that's your GPS uh, activities. So a lot of new companies are out there. You know, uh, Astrobotic is a robotic lunar lander. Uh, Exium Space, commercial space station. Uh, these are entrepreneurs that are starting their own uh, space activities that uh, will be interesting as we looked at it. Worldview Enterprises, Stratific Balloons. You got Up Aerospace, which is a star suborbital launches so all these companies are are coming out and developing new space technology new space equipment new space products that will be integrated in the future for our space exploration and and we continue and and there's uh, of course the non-us companies and i'll just name a few aerobus Airbus, uh, you know, uh, formerly the satellite manufacturing company uh, for Europe, uh, Airspace, uh, French launch services, uh, MRSAT, Intelsat, which is interesting. I did not know it was a European company. So there are key companies out there. One of the things that you have done, uh, Hawks, which always impressed me, is that you've been a consultant to some of the leading space companies out there. What have they told you or what have you told them on trying to keep up with technology? And how are they doing? Well, in some cases, I think they're doing very well. Uh, The development of new chips to go on satellite is uh, critical to our well-being in space. Um, w- uh, space is a very tough place to uh, survive in. Uh, we've had satellites that last for anything from just a few weeks to uh, as many as 20 and 30 and 40 years. Now, if you build simple and you harden them, they last. And so the the effort that we're putting forward now is to have buses on those satellites, those robots that recognize dangers to themselves and correct it and therefore uh, survive longer periods of time so we don't have to build a new satellite to put it in space. And they've additionally, they've decided that maybe disaggregation, like you were mentioning before, 
within the next 15 years, the plan is for 14,000 more satellites to be launched. Well, some of those are nano-satellites that provide a cloud of capability uh, as they were around the uh, world in orbit, uh, looking at different things, uh, whether they're atmospheric issues or whether they're trying to understand uh, ocean activity and trends or whether it is actually taking pictures of the uh, Earth and providing them down, uh, down to the surface to people who need to know the knowledge that maybe terrorists are moving in northern uh, uh, Africa, for example. But we're also developing the capability to search out natural, natural resources that we've never looked at because we didn't think they were there. Uh, for that kind of thing, or assess the damage of a hurricane or a typhoon in the world, or assess the damage that was produced by fires in the Amazon Basin or, the, or Northern California. Uh, and this can all be done from space without sending out people in harm's way. So these kinds of things will advance uh, within the next 15 to 20 years to the point where uh, we will be developing chips on satellites that will be able to literally manage the satellite by itself, and that we won't need to constantly have TPNC uh, uh, to uh, uh, command those satellites. The telemetry tracking and commanding of that satellite doesn't always have to be from Earth. It might be an AI-developed chip on the satellite, and it manages itself and keeps informing us of any problems it has. Yeah, we've got a minute left. Let me summarize the uh, activity in the segment here. You know, we've been talking about how important it's space. We've talked about uh, and discussed uh, the many industries that are participating in this uh, space venture. Uh, we've got over $400 billion in the uh, in the space industry uh, economy. Uh, we have over $20 trillion in the overall economy in telecommunication, precision agriculture, financial markets, transportation logistics. Those are just core components. We talked about the revolution that's ongoing right now between, uh, I guess, the private commercial sector and government sector, where it is just dramatic. Uh, we've had new technologies been developed. I mean, I look at the Falcon 9 uh, launching pad. You've got Boeing uh, launching its pa- its uh, capability to resupply the uh, uh, the. Um, Interstellar uh, International Space Station, so that's kind of interesting. You have new business models because you have all these new companies that I've mentioned earlier that are coming on, and you have new service designs. So that entire world has changed in the last 10 to 20 years, most more dramatically in the last 10 years, and we're going to see that progress. We talked about uh, launches in the space, over a 1,000 launches uh, uh, ongoing right now. That's uh, more than three launches per day in different countries. So we'll be back here shortly, and we'll talk about where is NASA going, what's uh, going on in in the international space community, and what's happening uh, about uh, finding those aliens that are coming to visit us. Uh, We'll be right back. Have you?
you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Accidents, injuries, hazards of all kinds. It seems like everything you do has something dangerous attached to it. Everyday safety is important to us all. Yet where can you get the information you need to prevent injuries and accidents? Tune in for Todd Murray and his program, Safety is Your First Choice. From safety in the home to the car in your workplace, as well as anywhere that you need to be prepared, he'll cover a range of topics. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. Uh, this is We're starting our third segment here on T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technology. My guest is uh, Bruce Abbott, who we go affectionately known as Hawks Abbott. He's a former Navy aviator, uh, NASA expert. Uh, I just call him a mastermind on space technology, both in the strategy, technologies, and capabilities. We've had an interesting uh, discussion in the first two segments. Uh, first, uh, the vastness of space and what do we need to do. In the second segment, we talked about the commercialization of space, some of the industries that are there. Why do we even need or care about space? Why is space so important to us? Us and uh, how important is space to the U.S.? And we talked a little bit about that. Third segment, I'd like to change it around. Let's talk about NASA and its future goals. We'll talk a little bit about the international community, and then we'll eventually talk a little bit what everybody else is talking about 
are they aliens in space and are they coming to visit us? So, uh, Hawks, uh, I'm going to start off with the NASA budget real quick. Uh, they really break it down into uh, approximately five major areas, uh, speech, uh, deep space exploration, uh, the exploration of research and technology, the LEO satellite and space uh, uh, flight operations, which is the, the joining of the commercial industry, the exploration campaign uh, using robots and, and going to deeper space. And then, of course, the elements of science that you brought up in the first period. Uh, NASA is really trying to move out. Uh, there's a, still a lot of uh, questions about the return to the moon. A lot of folks don't understand it. You brought up the, uh, you know, uh, kind of a international or U.S. space station near uh, the moon. Uh, and that uh, allows us to explore deeper into space and definitely move on into, into Mars. I don't think people realize the time that it takes to travel those distances. And that, that's really a critical piece. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the experiences that your uh, uh, former astronauts would tell you as they were flying either to the moon and back or, or just sitting around talking about, uh, you know, the time it takes to get anywhere. And that's the reason we need to continue our space technology development so that we can shorten those, uh, those distances. Well, in the early beginnings of our space program, when we did uh, Mercury and, and Gemini, uh, there weren't a whole lot of satellites up there, maybe in the order of uh, half a dozen to a dozen. But uh, we grew in our understanding because humans were involved. Uh, a classic example is during um, Gemini 6 and 7, where you had... Uh, um, Shara and Stafford in Gemini 6 and uh, Borman and Lovell in Gemini 7 and they their main purpose was to do orbital rendezvous because we had decided that orbital rendezvous over the moon is how we were going to get people on the surface of the moon. Uh, separate off a limb that went down to the surface and come back up. So the orbital rendezvous process was accomplished by uh, Gemini 6 and 7, but not without uh, some uh, interesting activities. They finally realized that because of Kepler's law, if you wanted to squirt thrusters towards an object in orbit, you had better be in pretty much the same orbit as the, the object you were going towards, or you would end up uh, rising in orbit and flowing up, therefore going away from the object. So they learned that they had to be within 11 or to 13 nautical miles before they could actually activate a thruster and actually push themselves towards the other uh, rendezvous point. So we learned as we went forward. And the, the issue about the moon in preparation for going to Mars is that Mars is, or the moon is one-sixth gravity and Mars is uh, about 0.38. Uh, so uh, you're talking about you know, 40% of the uh, uh, gravity pull that we have here on Earth will be exerted on Mars. But we need to learn uh, a number of different things uh, by doing them on the moon, particularly operational space activities for uh, a landing in a reduced uh, uh, 
gravitational pull from the surface, uh, being aware of where there are uh, gravity wells on Mars, just like the dozen gravity wells that were on the moon that we had to watch out for. Uh, so that kind of activity plus the activity of communicating real time with the uh, places that we need to do and be part of uh, in the orbital process of supply uh, to a surface of the activity, whether it's on the moon or Mars, you have to learn how to do these things. And as Chris Kraft, the old leader of uh, Mission Operations Center in uh, uh, at Johnson Space Center, and every mission through Mercury, through Gemini, Chris Crafts planned out every activity so it would go without a hitch. And that's part of the problem. In a, in a huge, long activity to Mars, and oh, by the way, with propulsion that we have today in the order of 25,000 miles per hour, uh, you, 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 you're going to take six months to just get to Mars. And then you have to deal with uh, physical, physiological and medical results of traveling that far in microgravity, which is much more than three days to the moon. And we have to learn how to keep our bodies up and be able to do the activities that will be necessary once landing on Mars. And that just gives you an idea of the distances involved. And back to the mid-1970s launches of Voyager. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 have just left the heliopause, which is the outer edge of our solar system. So how long did it take since 1976 launch? And now it's 2019. So you sit there and you look at the fact that this was 50 years traveling at 26 or 27,000 miles per hour to exit our own solar system. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about as far as the distance. We just can't comprehend. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the numbers we're talking about in billions. We're talking light years and in, in, in years, you know, travel. So it, it's just uh, interesting. I, I don't think we can really comprehend the vastness of space, the distance of space, but you did a pretty good job. Uh, six months to the... <clears throat> excuse me here uh six months to mars and three days to the moon and the uh, and of course the uh heliopod that, that just left the uh into the outer space i mean almost 50 years of traveling there uh for the voyeur voyeur so that's quite a quite a distance let's let's quickly switch to the international community because the international space station has played a, uh, an important role there's been about 18 countries uh that has uh, visited and supported the International Space Station. It continues to be a model for success and experimentation. Uh, that is something similar that we want to build near uh, the moon to help us um, do the transition. Is that not correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, um, <clears throat> the ability to launch and uh, gather uh, needed propulsion uh, uh, affluence uh, into a spacecraft that is in lunar orbit uh, it will facilitate us understanding how to uh, build a spacecraft that's in, already in uh, in uh, orbit, uh, such as we have with the International Space Station. We've added on, added on, and added on. 
and until it's a rather large object in orbit. Uh, but that's the type of thing that needs to be accomplished uh, in lunar orbit uh, so that we can reduce the cost so dramatically. I mean, the cost of one-sixth or one-fifth compared to what it would be launched from the surface of the Earth is huge. So that's why we need to have an emplacement uh, uh, build up on the moon to give us uh, uh, quality propellants and uh, get us used to operating in a microgravity environment that will teach us how we need to handle spacecraft and, and handle the uh, medical needs of a spacecraft and the physiological needs of a spacecraft. Do we have a rotating core so that we can uh, uh, simulate uh, at least a partial G, if not full G, on the spacecraft so that our bodies can handle it better and tolerate long distances. Right. Well, let me just name off a few countries here because I, I'm impressed by this list, of course. United States, Russia, Canada, Japan, uh, the European country members of Belgium, Denmark, France, uh, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland and the United Kingdom are just a few. There are really six major space agencies, the Chinese National Space Agency, the European Space Agency, the Indian Space Research Organization, Japan's uh, Space Agency, the U.S. Space Agency, NASA, and of course the Russian uh, Space Agency. So it's quite interesting as I listen, uh, name these uh uh, countries that are doing uh, space activities, and of course, uh, uh, New Zealand's involved, uh, French Guiana's involved, Japan, India, we've mentioned. So there's quite a few countries that are participating in space. Uh, Hawks, we've got about two more minutes. Let's talk about the uh, the aliens visiting the U.S. and now the Navy has seen a, a <laughs> UFO, and and uh, we're all gearing up to uh, go uh, go to Area 52, which was a bust. What do you think? about all those things well i the uh, i think the mathematicians have uh, taught us the the uh, literally the calculations that they have made about the existence of other life forms in the universe is absolutely number it's the it's the number one yes there have got to be just from the sheer numbers involved at least aliens out there somewhere. Now, whether they have found us or not is an issue that I have uh, I have struggled with for years. Uh, finding uh, this little tiny uh, uh, rock planet, third from the sun, uh, in a spiral galaxy which is on the edge of uh, the Milky Way, I find it hard that they've actually detected us. Uh, the, the the immensity of the uh, distances involved in just our galaxy alone, let alone to other galaxies. The local group has contains six other galaxies that we're close to. One of them is the Andromeda one. And uh, I also will point out that if you think my comment before about the Andromeda galaxy careening into us in about about a billion years, it's happened before. Eight to ten billion years ago, uh, the Sausage Galaxy and the Milky Way cleaned into each other, and we became combined, and that's why the Milky Way is so warped and twisted today. So it's an ongoing process uh, ever since the beginning of the Big Bang. 
Okay, we've got uh, less than 30 seconds. Let me just uh, thank Hawks Abbots for uh, uh, being my uh, guest today. I'd like to go out and reach out to D. Daniels, my executive producer. Of course, Alexander Loreno being my executive assistant. Uh, this is your host, Jose Negro. We've been talking about how important space. I think you get the idea that space is very important to just our human humanity itself. So until our next uh, technology show next week, I bid you good well. Have a great weekend and, and enjoy, enjoy yourself. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.